Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we continue our celebration of National Pie Month with upside-down and rustic pies. We're talking about tart tatins and crostatas. And Pie School is back in session with a lesson on the perfect rolling surface and rolling pins. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Choo-choo! Andrea, do you hear that sound? <laughs> it sounds like a train whistle. We are pulling in to the intimidation station. Are you ready? Uh, very <laughs> familiar with this stop. I visited many a time. <laughs> New segment alert. And it really comes from listener Karen, who over the weekend was responding on our Facebook page. Um, originally, listener Betty had posted about a lemon icebox pie, and I was unfamiliar with that pie, so Betty kindly filled me in, and it is a pie that has a uncooked filling, or sorry, a cooked filling. Um, It's with condensed milk and lemon juice, and then it has a meringue topping. Mm -hmm. And Karen was saying, oh you know, forget it. I heard meringue and I'm I'm out. And so we right. wanted to do a segment about things and meringue is a really great example, a baking uh, skill or technique that is very intimidating, but when it comes down to it in this case at least is is not really that hard. So meringue, there's there's various types of meringue, but just your kind of classic meringue that you would top a pie, like a lemon meringue pie with, is egg whites. Beat in your KitchenAid if you've got one or a hand mixer if you don't for, I don't know, what do you say, three to four minutes? Add sure. a little add a little sugar, beat a little more. They get kind of glossy and stiff. You put it on top of the pie. You broil it or bake it till it's lightly browned, which doesn't take but, but two or three more minutes, and you're right. done. So yeah. that's kind of meringue in a nutshell. And just wanted to reassure Karen that her Ready Whip secret is still safe with us. And (laughs) please, please feel free. But meringue also, you know, try it out. It's just a couple of egg whites and it's it's fun and it's such a great texture and flavor. And, you know, it's a real crowd kind of pleaser and showstopper, but it's not hard. It really isn't hard. And again, it's nice for those people who are dairy-free but can eat eggs. So it's nice to be able to use a meringue topping instead of a a ready whip topping, which has the cream. Um, I think the thing about meringue, too, I always got intimidated by the instructions like glossy peaks, stiff peaks, soft peaks. Um, It's kind of a fun thing to play around with. So now I actually really enjoy uh, stopping my stand mixer, and then I'll lift the whisk up a little bit and sort of see what happens to the peaks of the egg whites. You know, do they stand up straight? That would be the stiff peaks. Do do they sort of tip over a little bit at the top? That would be the soft peaks. And... um, Listener Karen and all those listeners out there, we are not professional bakers. <laughs> just in case you haven't figured that out yeah, yet. Right, if that wasn't obvious. We are home bakers just like you guys. And we think it's really fun to try things. And, um, you know, ultimately, if you 
ruin a meringue pie, it's not the end of the world. So we hope that you will be willing to bake along with us and try some things out. And let us know when you've got something that is feeling a little bit intimidating or anxiety-causing. Stefan and I have even a few of our own coming up over the next couple of months, things we've picked that we know already are going to be challenging for us. And we're trying to approach that with excitement instead of fear. That's right. Absolutely. So we will definitely be back to Intimidation Station in the future. And in the meantime, yeah, if you've got something like that, let us know on Facebook and and we'll try to tackle it here. Yes. Well, um, I wanted to let you know about a little something I baked this week. And it's something that is so easy and I often forget about it. And that is banana bread. Yeah, you sent me that <laughs> picture. There's almost nothing better than a banana bread done right. You know? You know I, I think the reason I forget about it is I never used to make banana bread by plan. I only made it when I happened to buy too many bananas and they were, you know, about to get thrown away. And I'd say, oh, okay, I'll make banana bread with these last two or three that are on their last legs. Right. And um, so I'd kind of forgotten about it. And I subscribed to the Smitten Kitchen food blog. I love her stuff. And I saw a recipe come through last week and it said jacked up banana bread. And I immediately ran upstairs, looked in my fruit basket, and there were three of the saddest, sorriest looking bananas in the world. So I thought, (laughs) yes, I can do this. You have a glorious future ahead of you, banana. (laughs) And so it's kind of cute. It was called jacked up banana bread. I think the reason she called it jacked up is she replaced white sugar with brown sugar. So that was really good. Um, I think she added more butter than usual. And and I think sometimes, too, the recipes just use oil and she used butter. Got it. Um, and then she also had some bourbon in there. I didn't throw that in there, but I, I see no problem with it. I think it would be a, a lovely enhancement. Yours was only semi-jacked. Right. <laughs> and and then some spices, some cinnamon, nutmeg, and cloves. Yep. And that was kind of fun. And then I added my own little twist in there. I had read somewhere that uh, – if you toast pecans before you put them in bread, it can make a real difference. And that's something that I didn't think I would actually be able to tell the difference, but I do like it better. So, you know, since you're preheating the oven for the bread anyway, it doesn't hurt to just throw your nuts in there for a few minutes. I'm not even sure if her recipe had nuts in it. And I think if you're making banana bread, you need nuts. I'm with you on that too. And definitely with the toasting, here's a really hard thing to do with banana bread, but I've found it really improves as well. And that's after you let it cool completely, if you wrap it in plastic and then tinfoil and just let it sit overnight, it's really, really hard to wait, but it is incredible. It's kind of like- What happens? It gets more moist if that's even possible. The flavors just blend really well. And- So that's like a little. You put it to, you put it to bed. You wrap you do. it in its little blanket. You do. You kind of give it a little rest and say, "I'll see you tomorrow." And then <laughs> it really, yeah, it's really incredible. You know, not that it's just not wonderful straight from the oven, but I find if I can wait, it it pays off a lot. Interesting. Yeah. You know, or you could do one loaf for now, one loaf for later type of thing too. But, well, and yeah. you also love your cold, dense cake, so I could see you then eating it you know, potentially cold out of the fridge. I I like mine. I actually slice it and put it in the toaster in the mornings and then I spread yeah. peanut butter on it. Yeah, peanut butter. Yeah, we do that or too. Almond butter. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And no, when I'm keeping it, when I'm putting it to bed, I just leave it on the counter, room temp. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. room temp. Yep. Oh, interesting. Okay, yep. I, I might try that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, not guaranteeing. 
We um my my family's favorite banana bread is a swirled chocolate banana bread. So you take half the batter and you add some melted chocolate to it, and then you swirl oh. swirled loaf cakes or breads or whatever. Just pretty anyway, and that's even better with peanut butter on top too. So well, sure it is. <laughs> Why right? didn't I think of that? That's right. Oh, so, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, little bourbon, little nuts. I don't see anything wrong there. That sounds fantastic. Ugh, yeah. Well, it was really fabulous. And it's fun. You know, today is a snow day for us. And I kind of love just having something that I can pull out, pop in the toaster. It's, you know, really good. My family loves it. And it requires no effort once it's made. You can just serve it. So, And it also just feels like you're getting away with something because otherwise, I don't know, you know, those bananas you could put in a smoothie. You know, you can actually freeze really ripe bananas and they'll just mm-hmm. kind of stay in that mm-hmm. in that point. But it's just so gratifying to just go grab them and they look so sad and then they turn into this fabulous <laughs> dessert, right? I yeah, love that. and I love I love the idea that I didn't waste some food. So yeah, I, I agree with that. That feels good. Um, the other thing that I wanted to chat about with you real quick takes place outside of the kitchen, and that is uh, our movie updates. <laughs> Tell me, what's going on in Hollywood? Well, um, Has Ashton I'm... Kutcher called you again, Andrea? <laughs> yeah. With my new connections. Um, You know, I I find that there is usually a real lack of movies that my 11-year-old daughter enjoys. She is right at the age now where she's kind of outgrown the animation. She does still enjoy them, but not at the same level that she used to. Right. Um, but she's not mature enough to go for the, you know, young adult type movies. Yeah. And, and But thank goodness, there seem to be some out right now that are going um, really great for the tween age. So one is I think called – I I'm just going to – in back of my mind, I think I know what you might be saying. But go ahead. I want to see if I'm right. I bet you do. So one is called Hidden Figures. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Wonderful movie. My daughter and loved it too. I think this is just perfect for, for male or female. It is about the um, women – scientists at NASA who work there. They're African-American, and they were working there in the late 50s, early 60s. So you can imagine the challenges that they went through. And um, it was just a lovely movie. And one of my favorite aspects of it is there's so many scenes showing the kitchens from the 50s and the 60s in the movie. That's true. Or the food. They have the the scene outside the church, like the church potluck. Oh, the church picnic. (laughs) And, you know, that the thing I loved about that is, you know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in the South, and every Sunday after church, we had church dinner. We had a cafeteria in our church, and we would go – we didn't do it outside because it was so blazing hot in Louisiana. You would have melted. But we went downstairs and to the social hall, and we would have, you know, fried chicken and potato salad yep. and mashed potatoes and pies and, I mean – it just really made me look forward to church. <laughs> so whatever gets you in the door, that's right. Yeah. Yes. It, if you're listening, I highly recommend the social hour with well, fried chicken. But it's just a wonderful community building type of a thing. And, you know, I think you and I have talked plenty about food as a community builder and bringing people together. That's almost the whole point of our show. So, um, yeah, I love that movie. My son and my daughter went with me. It was just a, a gentle but very powerful movie. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad they kept it PG so that kids could see it yes. and realize the importance. These women were not women I had ever heard of or learned about in school. My children certainly hadn't either. And, right. you know, John Glenn would not have been in space successfully without without them and their contributions to NASA. So 
I know it's been nominated. The stars and and the movie itself has been nominated for several Oscars, and rightly so. It was it was great. Right. It really was. The other movie that we saw yesterday and a warning, take a box of Kleenex with you if you go, is A Dog's Purpose. Oh, right. I don't think I'm up to it. Yeah, (laughs) I think I think you need to decide. And I have never lost a dog. So for me, um, I was okay with this movie. I think if you have lost a, a dog or any pet, you know, that was a member of your family, it will either make you feel really good or really sad or maybe both. I'm not sure. Um, My daughter had already read the book, so she was prepared for it. So she kind of was looking at me and, you know, I was – I wasn't just like tears trickling down my face. I was sobbing, yeah. you know. Yep. And um, when the movie was over, there was a woman to my left, and she turned to me and she said, I'm so glad you were sitting next to me because I think the two of us were crying harder than anyone else in this whole theater. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, she said that way I didn't feel so bad. Yes. yes. You're not the only person who has told me that. So if I do end up seeing it, um, yeah, definitely taking the, the travel pack of Kleenex or perhaps the whole box along yeah, with me. Yeah, just bring a box in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good time to be at the movies. And um, just to get back in the kitchen for a brief thing before we go on to our pie, I had a real win for efficiency this weekend. And I wanted Ooh. to throw it out to our listeners and to you, Andrea, if this is something you've done. But I was making um, a coconut cream pie. And it called my recipe calls for a you make a custard, a, a vanilla pudding, and then you fold in um, beaten whipped cream. So whipped whipped cream. And I happen to have some whipped whipped cream. Whipped whipped, <laughs> whipped, cream. whipped cream. Whipped heavy cream. Whipped heavy cream. Yes. But Got but it. already whipped up, not just in the carton. Like I'd already whipped it for another dessert, hadn't used okay. it all, put it back in the fridge, and it had really retained its whip. And that was a shock to me. I I was able to just fold it into my pie and go from there. I hadn't ever considered doing that before, kind of a make-ahead whipped cream. Oh, and, you know, that's interesting because that's one of the reasons I had put that uh, whipped cream charger on my Christmas list because I didn't like hauling out the KitchenAid stand mixer at the end of a dinner and having this, you know, enormous sound for two to three minutes. So I could do that before people arrive put that in the refrigerator and then just put it on top of my dessert and it'd be fine? Yeah, definitely the day of. And this whipping cream, I mean, it was two days old. I had whipped it like... So I don't know if I had whipped it especially stiffly, uh, you know, the first time around, or it was just something about how it kept its character and retained its its whip, but a real nice time saver there that I wasn't expecting. So listeners, if you have any make ahead, if you've done that successfully, if there's any other things you do once you reuse it that second time, let us know. I was pleasantly surprised. I can see the reason this never occurred to me is I've never had leftover whipped cream. (laughs) I I just, uh, let's be honest, I just took care of it if there were leftovers. (laughs) Not a problem you've encountered. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Good to know. And so now let's take a step out of Hollywood and roll back into our kitchens. You might recall back in episode 13, Stefan and I introduced the Totally Biscoff Pie. This was the amateur pie winner from the American Pie Council contest in 2016. So we thought that we would attempt a winning pie, and we absolutely fell in love with Biscoff cookies and the dreaded yet deeply loved Biscoff cookie butter. (laughs) 
<laughs> the girdle buster. Yes. <laughs> there you go. So now let's talk about uh, the magic of those items all coming together in this totally Biscoff pie. Stefan, what did you think? How did yours turn out? This pie was unlike any pie I've made in recent memory. It <laughs> And I loved that part of it. It was all very unique. You know, it's a new product to me. It's a lot of different steps that I'm taking along the way. And I I liked it a lot. And I liked it a little better as it was aging. Oh. Um, I thought the consistency was better on the second day. I thought it got so, a little firmer. So it's it's kind of like what it reminded me of. I was realizing as I was eating numerous slices of a, a no call it research a no bake cheesecake. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, because it has the cookie crust, and then you're mm-hmm. doing like a cream cheese, whipping cream, and Biscoff spread for the filling, right. and then sprinkling some more crumbs on top, and then making these chocolate truffles to adorn the top. Mine were like chocolate boulders my <laughs> my truffles were very large but that aside well, um yeah so this yeah. is interesting if 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 the listeners um have not tried baking this uh Stefan's given you a good idea of what the pie is supposed to look like and <laughs> and this is actually where I ran into some challenges so, okay when I picked this pie, it was because, uh, well, I just thought it was, you know, the fact that it was the amateur winner. I thought, okay, that's perfect. We're amateurs. And then the idea that it was using this Biscoff that I had never heard of, I thought that was really fun. And then we liked the idea of starting with a cookie crumb crust because, ooh, wow, that was hard. Um, because that can be challenging. We know people have some crustophobia. So we wanted yep. to start it out easy there. And then, Stefan sent me her picture and my uh, when she made it, and my first thought was, "Well, something's wrong. That doesn't look right." And, <laughs> and here's why: not because I doubt you, but because when I had originally found this recipe, it was from a Facebook posting on the American Pie Council's website. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one too. Mm-hmm. So that one, she piped the filling kind of into little stars on top, and the truffles were nowhere to be seen. So it was really interesting. I went back and read the comments. And um, so America Pie Council posted the winning pie and said, here it is, amateur winner. And then the first comment was from a lady who said, this looks and sounds so good, but I've read the recipe and I'm looking for eight circles and a truffle in each one, which is what you did, Stefan. And that's yep. what your picture looked like. Right. And and this, this uh, Facebook commenter said, I don't see this in the picture. And I love American Pie Council wrote back and said, we'll check with the baker. And then they wrote and said, sometimes in the end, some things don't turn out right, which was probably the case in this instance. (laughs) So I thought, isn't that interesting that the woman who won the contest, obviously she submitted her recipe ahead of time. I'm guessing she had different intentions, but who knows what happened that kept her from making that truffle filling the day of. Yeah. Is it a timed contest maybe? Maybe. And, you know, the reason I felt good about it is I don't know if you remember this, but when I went to make mine, I ran out of time. And so I literally didn't have time to make the truffles because I had promised the pie to a um, youth group. And so they, you know, there was a a room full of hungry middle schoolers sitting around. (laughs) 
waiting on my pie. So I had to deliver it at the time I had promised, and I didn't have time to do that. Yeah, and and I would not do the truffles again. I might make them as a standalone treat. My son especially really liked them, and it's melted chocolate with some more Biscoff spread, and then um, you roll them in cookie crumbs. So it's it's pretty easy with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, it said you made eight. And I I had, I'm looking at my recipe notes, I had enough, you know, truffle to me is is a pretty small little bite. Yes. And, and when I made eight of them, they <laughs> they were like jawbreaker size. They were huge. Oh. And and so then they just kind of looked odd on top of my book. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, too. When we post our show notes, we will we'll post the picture of Stefan's pie. We'll post the picture of my pie. We'll post the picture of the pie that won the contest. And it'll be nice because you'll see, you know, you can do whatever you want. I mean, basically, you've got your crust. You've got your filling. You've got your frosting. And if you want, you can throw on some truffles on the top. The other reason I was glad I didn't do the truffle piece and the eight circles, I never like doing a decoration on top of pie or or cake for that matter, as if I'm such a cake expert now, um, (laughs) where it then sort of predefines the slice size. Because again, I don't know, for example, how many kids were going to be at that youth group thing. So I don't want it being a situation where it's like, oh, this is clearly eight slices if they need to make 12. Um, yeah, and that's so, a good point yeah. because I found this pie to be very rich. And eight, the slice of eight was a very hefty slice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I loved this pie. I I thought it was pretty easy to make the, you know, cookie crumb crust is super easy. You just, you know, grind up the cookies in your food processor and the melted butter and, and put that in your pie pan. Um, the filling was super easy. Cream cheese, that um, Biscoff butter cookie spread, some cream, some powdered sugar, Um it was really easy to come together. I had a lot of filling left over. Did you? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> no. Define, <laughs> define leftover. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let me rephrase. Did you use all of the filling the recipe specified in the pie? No. Okay. <laughs> so, true confessions, what did you do with your leftover filling? Yeah, that's called a cook's treat. <laughs> Well, I love you so yeah. much. I I saved mine. I mean, I'm not – don't worry. I'm not getting all highfalutin on you. I saved mine till the next day, which was quite an exercise in willpower. Yeah. And I then um, – normally for breakfast, I'll do like yogurt, granola, and blueberries. Instead, I did that um, Biscoff filling, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. granola, and blueberries. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you. That is that is a breakfast winner right there. I'm not sure that yogurt is a <laughs> – Yogurt and Biscoff cookie spread. I mean, frankly, the only the only hesitation I have with making this pie again is that I cannot stop myself around that cookie butter. Yeah. A- and so having it in my house is, is a dangerous, dangerous, a you know, slippery slope to be on there. But I yeah. agree. It was fluffy. It's a no-bake pie aside from, you know, a few minutes in the oven for that crust. So this would be a great summertime pie if you don't feel like turning on your oven for a long period of time. It's yeah. really unique, the flavor. I, I really loved it, too. I, I would make it again with the, you know, my willpower at full power, and I would just knock the truffles off. Not needed. Yeah. 
Not needed. No, it's kind of gilding the lily there, I thought, a little bit. Um, I did ask the group that I delivered it to. I, I sent my daughter in to pick up the pie pan at the end of the evening, and I said, make sure you ask them what they thought about it. And it, it came back out, and I mean, it just it, it just looked like, like they had attacked it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There were just like tiny little crumbs around it, and she said, Mom, they just said it was the best thing ever. Yeah. So. And you know, if you're doing any kind of, you know, like Andrea was talking about the, the church potluck or any kind of potluck, you can probably guarantee that yours will be the only Biscoff pie. So it's really unique and original mm-hmm. and people love mm-hmm. it for for that kind of reason too. So if you want to check out Biscoff World but aren't quite ready to jump into a pie, um, I highly recommend the Biscoff Baking, uh, the Biscoff Cookie Group on Facebook. <laughs> they, oh. they pretty much have something every day made using either Biscoff cookies or Biscoff cookie butter. And this, will, this is not helping me, Andrea. <laughs> Sorry. This it's information. Really, it's really creative and interesting. And, uh, you know, and since you have some cookie butter left after making this recipe because you only use half the jar. I'm just saying. It gives you some ideas. Yeah, I have nothing left. What are you? (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps other people will, but I used it all. When's the last time you like, you know, got to the very bottom of your jar of like peanut butter in in a day? I don't know, but... (laughs) I know. I wanted to share one last thing on this pie that I thought was really interesting. The lady who came up with it, her name was Grace Thatcher. And this is the 22nd American Pie Council National Pie Championship in 2016. She has been competing in the event since 1997. So almost since the beginning. And I thought that was so interesting. You know, someone who has been 1997 to 2016, what is that, 19 years. um, She, it did say she has won an award in the cream cheese category before, and she placed second um, with her chocolate raspberry mousse pie in 2013. But I thought, how fun for her to finally win first place with this totally different kind of pie. And we're going to be talking about uh, baking contests next month or in April. I can't remember exactly, but um, yep, yep, you got to stick with it. That's Grace's point right. right there. There you go. Well, we are going to shift to our next pie, which is our tart to tan. And it is a Martha Stewart recipe, and it's actually called Martha's Favorite Tart to Tan. And a tart to tan essentially is an upside-down apple pie. And in this case, I think in all cases, it is cooked in a skillet. I am going to use my cast iron skillet. And it is only a single crust pie. So if you think of maybe an upside down cake, this is an upside down pie. You have some caramel in the bottom, your apples, and then your crust goes on top. You bake it and then you flip it out when you're done. So the apples and caramel are on top and then your crust is nicely on the bottom. Andrea, have you ever made a tart to tan? I have never made one, so I'm super excited about this. I think it's a nice way for our listeners to continue easing into pie world if they haven't been there before because you're only doing a bottom crust, not a bottom and a top crust. That's right. And um, I have watched the video. So if you do a search for Martha Stewart and Tart Tatan, you will find her doing it. And I find that's very effective because I was nervous about the whole skillet and flipping. Um, so I think now that I've watched the video, it's going to be easier for me when I bake it because I've I've seen how she did it. And I, I have Good a point. hard time visualizing sometimes from 
recipes, you know, when they when they say things um, like reading the recipe and it talked about, you know, save half the apple for the middle. I was like, what are they talking about? And then when you see it in the video, it's like, oh, OK, I get it now. So that's a great point. Yeah. And also to to the point that this is easing in a little bit. It's a single crust pie. You also don't have to do any fancy fluting or, nope. you know, crimping. You're just rolling out that crust, putting it over the top and kind of tucking the edges in. That's it. That's also very similar to a crostata. A crostata is not made in a skillet, but is more of what I'd call a freeform pie. You actually don't put it in a pie tin at all. You roll out your crust, dump in your filling, usually apples, but I've seen other berries or a combination of apples and berries. And then you just kind of fold up that that crust so you can still see the filling peeking through. But, you know, if, if crimping and putting things in a pie dish is is where you're feeling a little intimidated, these might be a good starting point for you also. Yes, open face pie is your next challenge. So we hope you will bake along with us and we'd love to see some photos if you try it out. You bet. All right, Andrea. Well, ding, ding, ding. That sounds more like we're getting ready to like have a boxing match. <laughs> What's like the school bell sound? Ding, dong. I don't know. That's my doorbell. I can't get it's, this one right. Okay. The one at our school now is electronic and it just doesn't. I, I'm trying to think of the one from Little House on the Prairie. It was more like the classic, you know. Yeah. Ding, clang, clang, clang. There, yeah. there we've mm-hmm. got it. Yes. <laughs> I knew I was doing the podcast with the right person. Well, pie school is back in session. And this episode, we're going to talk about rolling surfaces and rolling pins. And Andrea, you actually gifted me my very favorite rolling pin a few years ago. I don't know the specific name for this, but it kind of looks like a dowel. It's just a very simple wooden pin. That's it. What Do you, do you have an actual name for this guy? Is it tapered on the ends it or is. is it? It is. Okay. So that's a French rolling pin. And um, that I learned about at Pie Camp, which I've mentioned before, um, from Art of the Pie. So that was one of our parting gifts as we were given our own French rolling pins. I think the ones we were given at Art of the Pie came from a company called Vic Firth. I'm not sure if that company is still around, but you can find these other places. I know, in fact, I think... Um, Martha Stewart makes one for Macy's. Okay. So if you just look for French rolling pins, what I like about the French rolling pins is it has those tapered ends. And so it makes it really easy to do more of a circular when you're rolling out the pie. Like if your edges start to split, you can kind of use that tapered end to smush them together a little bit more easily. So I love the French rolling pin. It is different than what I call the classic rolling pin or, you know, you might think of like if you think back to what your grandma used, the kind where you would put your hand on those handles and your hands would stay still and then you would roll back and forth. And that's the Um, kind that I had before. I think there's even some ball bearings involved with this. Mine was very, very heavy. That's something I really like about this French pin is it's quite light. Yes. It's very maneuverable. My problem with the classic rolling pin is I used to always scrape my knuckles. Oh, on the rolling part because you're holding yes. on, like you're holding onto a motorcycle almost. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. I, think, I think my fingers were too right. fast. So. <laughs> I, no comment. I had, <laughs> I had heard someone say once like, oh, I had a woodmaker wood maker, uh, make me a rolling pin just perfect for my hands, and that worked well. But, you know, I, I wasn't going to do that. So I was happy to find that. Um, I also, when I was watching the Martha Stewart video for the Tarte Tatin, she was using – 
um, a rolling pin. I don't know what you would call it. It didn't have the handle. So if you think about that centerpiece, that big, long, you know, solid block, hers just extended and she was using that. So it didn't taper at the ends. Oh, interesting. Was it also wooden or was it another material? Oh, no, it was definitely wooden. Because I've also seen a version that's made of ceramic and it has an opening in one end that you fill with ice water. Oh. You've seen that? Because the theory, too, is and, – and to get to the rolling surface, the theory is you want a really cold surface to roll your pie on like a granite or a marble. And so these rolling pins are just furthering that cause because they're also icy cold. Yes. And I think we're lucky in the Pacific Northwest. I, I, I think that um, – I mean, I do firmly believe in keeping everything chilled and cold. Um, but I don't think it's as much of a challenge as it is, you know, down south or in the Midwest in the summer where you think about, you know, a kitchen that's already at, you know, 80 or 85 degrees and you've got your oven on. Right. So then, you you know, you probably do want to do everything possible to keep things chilled. I do keep my flour in the freezer. So my flour is definitely chilled. I don't keep my rolling pin in the freezer, but I guess I could. Um, you know, obviously my butter, my lard are in there. I'm using ice water. So everything I'm using is cold. Um, I have hot hands. I know that because I've taken <laughs> one of those temperature gauges and, and shined it on my hand. Oh. And uh, shined it? That's probably not right. But shown. Um, you've shown it. Shown. <laughs> I've shown it. And my hands run hot for sure. So... I have been told that I could put ice cubes in my hands and that would keep my hands nice and cold. And it does, but it's also painful and I don't <laughs> enjoy. Right. Yeah, I like to enjoy making my pies. So I just try not to touch my crust at okay. all, really. Okay. I really try to use my rolling pin. I mean, even when I'm moving my dough from one surface to another or, you know, from from the um, surface that I rolled it out on, which we'll talk about in a minute, into the pan, I hardly touch it at all. Like I yes. use the rolling pin to do the movement. Right. Right. And so then you also have something called a pastry cloth that you use. Is is that something I, from Pie Camp as well? That's from Pie Camp. That was another gift from Pie Camp. I believe it is a um, – I'm not a fabric person. I think it's 100% cotton canvas. It's very heavyweight. It's very densely woven. I know that uh, you can, I think, buy these at King Arthur or online again if you just search for pastry cloth. I keep mine in the freezer, so I have it folded up in a Ziploc bag. It stays in the freezer, so it's always cold. And the nice thing about it is when you roll your pie crust out on it, the flour then sticks to the dough and not, you know, into the cloth. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it, how do really you keep that from sliding off of your counter? So a lot of times I use my uh, ample hip and I just I just sort of tuck the edge of that cloth between, you know, I sort of pin it between my hip and the edge of the counter. Or the other day, I realized that my largest cutting board, which I really like to use, but I don't haul out that often because it's kind of big and heavy, it fit perfectly right around the edges of it. And so I could just tuck it right under nice. and then it would stay very stable. Okay. So it's not sliding around on you. Right. Got it. Very good. Well, all of these things are available wherever you do your home cooking or online. And if you have another kind of surface or rolling pin that we haven't touched on, we would love to hear what's been successful for you. One more thing, if you're in a pinch and maybe you're visiting someone's house and you want to make a pie and they don't have a rolling pin, an uh, empty wine bottle does just fine. I've heard that too. And it kind <laughs> so of has that taper-ish a little bit too. Yeah. I guess it doesn't have to be empty. I haven't thought about that. It could be just be cold. 
Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mine, mine are always empty. So well, first you drink the wine and then you make the pie. But I always have that champagne in my fridge so I could just grab that. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we continue our sweet celebration of pie with some weird ones. Vinegar, chess, buttermilk, raisin. Unusual? Yes. Delicious? Let's find out. We'll also discuss the secret to blind baking, as well as debate the merits of dried beans versus pie weights. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes. We'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review. Both things will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.